This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, Happy New Year. Welcome to the 2021 edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. I'm hoping that the year 2021 started well for you, despite the COVID-19 pandemic, that you also found some time to rest during the festive season. As for me, yes, I did. And I'm grateful for another opportunity to walk this climate journey with you. I did enjoy last year with lots of lessons uh, that I'm hoping shapes every bit of this year. So, before I tell you what I have in store for you, I just wanted us to recap back to the year 2020, highlighting some of the conversations we had. But first to our new listeners, Karibuni sana. Please remember to subscribe by visiting our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com. On our homepage, you'll find how to keep in touch. Please click on the buttons to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, after that, please scroll down here just a little bit and subscribe to receive an email each time a new episode is out. Remember, also Africa Climate Conversation podcast is accessible on Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, and every other podcast channel you access your other podcasts from. So please uh, find us there and uh, rate us and also uh, subscribe. You can also get in touch with us using info at africaclimateconversations.com. The World Meteorological Organization says that 2020 is the hottest year in record. This comes after 2019 was actually determined was the hottest year in record. So this shows, as the years go by, shows that the globe is warming. So we are yet to see the hottest year in record yet. But now, 2020 was a very important year because that was the year that the nations had been requested by the UNFCCC as per the Paris Agreement to look into their, their national commitment they had submitted. And if there was, was a need to resubmit their commitments, then they do so. So a couple of African nations have updated their NDCs, among them Zambia, Kenya, Rwanda, Senegal, and Ethiopia. So far, looking at Climate Watch data, you find that about 71 countries globally, including 27 European countries, have updated their nationally determined contributions, representing about 28% of the global emissions. Now, are you wondering what are NDCs and why they are important? Fine. You remember the Paris Agreement in 2015, right? Now, that Paris Agreement aims at reducing greenhouse gases emissions and ensure that global temperatures don't rise more than two degrees um, above prehistoric level this century. And ultimately, aims at pursuing a scenario where temperatures rise remains below 1.5 degrees. Now, for us to do so, every country needs to play its part. So each country outlines their own pledges called the Nationally Determined Contributions, or NDCs, that basically outlines a country's emission reduction targets and contributions. So sometimes I wonder if Africa and other developing nations agreeing to the NDCs, basically, under the Paris Agreement, uh, while regions like Africa basically contribute for less than 4% of the total greenhouse gas emissions. The reason I'm saying this 
is that the convention before was the, the the Kyoto Protocol was extremely clear on who had their historical responsibilities for emissions, countries that were from poor countries and rich countries. It was very clear in terms of who had which responsibilities, in terms of who was responsible for the global warming up until where we were, and who was also responsible, like the developed nations were responsible, they were historically responsible for emissions, and they were also responsible for providing financing, uh, technology transfer, capacity building to poor nations to make sure that they get to adapt to climate change and also mitigate further effects. But you see, for me, nationally determined contributions basically says everyone, whether poor or rich countries, have a responsibility to tackle climate change. But then issues like finance becomes push and pull in terms of providing financing for climate finance. But then again, one important thing to note concerning NDCs basically is the fact that finance is very critical, plays a very huge role in terms of us getting there, well, the world basically getting there. Because then you have to look into terms of these NDCs uh, that countries have con contributed, that countries have actually said, this is the target we are going to get here by 2030. But then how much of emissions a country has said they will reduce on their own and to what extent a country requires international assistance to meet the national commitment. For example, now countries like Kenya says in its updated NDCs that it will reduce its emission by 32%, a 2% higher than the previous commitment, and their commitment is by 2030. Sort of importance to notice that Kenya has said that to get there, the country will require at least 62 billion US dollars. Okay, now, the first NDC was fully conditional on international support. But now Kenya has said it will raise 13% of this budget and will require the international support to raise 87% of this budget for Kenya to reduce their emissions by 32% as, as per business as usual by 2030. Okay. Now, if you look at many of these NDCs, especially from developing countries, majority requires financial support, technical and capacity building. So we go back to the international negotiations and the need for developed countries to meet their historic obligations of providing finance, both for adaptation, that is dealing with climate change and also preventing further effects, uh, that is mitigation, which has been a huge issue during the UN climate conferences. Anyway, to understand the need for finance and adaptation in Africa, you, I would advise you to please go back to episode on COP26. And also there's um, a specific episode on adaptation. Um, the adaptation specific one is under the Green Economy series and also the episode on the economic of climate change, challenges and opportunity. And not to forget COP26, as we mentioned, it's the 26th UN Climate Summit that, that is known as COP26. Um, it's among events, important climate events that will be happening this year. It will be happening in Glasgow between the 1st and the 12th of November. And uh, we've talked about the priorities of Africa, for Africa, what Africa has achieved, what Africa basically achieved in Madrid, that is last year, but one, during the COP25, and as well as the Road to Glasgow, that is episode 23, that I would encourage you to listen together with episode 6 and 7 on COP26. My sincere hope this year is that the 26th climate meeting yields good progress, as climate impacts on ground, cannot be tackled by just us talking, you know, by nations coming together and talking. But these commitments do not meet the urgency that is required on ground. 
Now, I got an email, someone asking, why is it so important for Africa, for temperatures to stay in check for the African continent? Well, um, when you look at the current national commitments that countries have submitted, and they were submitted by about 190 parties who are party to the UNFCCC, uh, a few countries like Iran, Iraq, and Turkey are the ones who are yet to do so. But what happens is that um, all these pledges combined, they are leading to a three degrees warmer world, okay? And so we had already said the Paris Agreement aims to stay within two degrees or even go lower up to 1.5 degrees. So you find that according to the IPCC scientific reports is that Africa warms 1.5 degrees higher than the average global temperatures. So if the world warms at 3 degrees, so that means Africa warms upon 1.5 degrees higher and to some extent even 2 degrees depending on which part of, the, of Africa you are in. Now, why is it important for the global temperatures to stay in check for the African continent? Now take for example the Indian Ocean. Now, the Indian Ocean is warming fastest than any other part of the tropical ocean, you know. And this is actually according to ICPAC, um, IGAD Climate Prediction and Application Center. And um, now you can imagine cyclones such as Idai that hit Beira in Mozambique, Zimbabwe and other parts of the Southern African region are expected to be more frequent because of the warming. Now remember, the eastern part of the region has been experiencing a lot of rainfall. You know, of course, because of the ocean dipole, they ended sending too much moisture mainland within the eastern African countries like Kenya. We saw Tanzania, we saw Somalia, so there was a lot of Uganda, Rwanda. We saw a lot of flooding within the East African region. Now, imagine in 2019, Idai happened. Then in 2020, there was Cyclone Chalane, which made landfall in Madagascar on December 27, 2020. If you think about islands such as Madagascar, each year the small island state is hit by a cyclone. What would happen with higher temperatures? Think about the flooding that we've seen east of Africa. Think about the cyclones we've seen south of Africa. Think about the water distress we've seen in South Africa specifically. And also in other parts of the southern part of Africa, the energy crisis that we've actually seen in Zimbabwe, because many of the African countries depend on hydro for energy generation. Think about droughts, you know. And if the temperatures grow higher, think about the Sahel and the livestock keeping and the higher temperatures. Think about internally displaced people because of migrations, conflict that comes between pastoralists and farmers. Think about the inability to grow maize, the inability to grow food because of persistent drought. That is the reason why Africa needs for the temperature, global temperatures to stay in, in check because then again, that would mean increased burden because much of our agriculture depends on rain-fed. What happens to our ecosystem? So that is the reason why it is important and paramount for Africa that the global temperatures stays in check. But submission of new NDCs does not automatically mean a more ambitious commitment, no. We, but we, what we need is to see higher meters like the G20 countries that come together, that are responsible for 80% of global emissions, not just make commitments, but completely reduce their global emissions, adopt sustainable greener pathways, and provide resources for developing nations.
But at the same time, developed nations have a responsibility to their own people, communities, and ecosystems severely impacted by climate. Climate change is still seen as a foreign thing, and in many countries, you will find the policies in sectors highly impacted by climate impacts, like agriculture, water, energy, and health are not linked. You find sometimes it means work in isolation and doesn't know what the other one is doing. Also, accountability in terms of money they receive not only for COVID-19, but also dealing with the climate crisis, making sure that interventions are happening on ground and reaching out to communities in dire need for adaptation and mitigation measures. And of course, we can't forget that nations have been severely impacted by COVID-19. We did a lot of, we did quite, um, at the beginning, we looked into the extent by which Africa has been affected by COVID-19. Um, statistics showed that from um, the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa that COVID-19 cost African economies between GDPs, uh, GDPs between 1.7 to 2.7%. But then again, what are the solutions, you know? Uh, we had a very good episode on building back better among the very first conversations uh, with the Director for Technology, Climate Change and Natural Resources Management at ECA, Jean-Paul Adam, which talked about how nations can build better with the twin challenge of COVID-19 and climate emergency. We also, under the Green Economy series, we looked into the role circular economy can play in terms of building back better post COVID-19 and the climate crisis. This episode also touches back on initiatives such as the Africa Continental Free Trade Area that actually officially commenced on 1st of January this year. AFCFTA creates the largest free trade area in the world, connecting 1.3 billion people across 55 countries. Um, with a combined GDP value of 3.4 trillion US dollars. Now, with the globe still in turmoil, basically due to the COVID-19 pandemic, this region make market is an opportunity for African countries to diversify their export, fast track growth, and attract foreign direct investment. But I also see an opportunity for the scientific community to work together and find solution to a common problem we are all facing as a block in the spirit of working together. You know, I also see an opportunity in terms of the Africa Union rallying nations to come together to contribute finance. For example, I found it very interesting when nations were drafting NDCs, majority had to rely on consultants from the world, from the West, basically. Well, did it mean that Africa does not have experts who would have been consulted to draft this nation's national commitments? Or is it because of the finance help that came with it? Well, in the spirit of AFCFTA, can African nations contribute a kit the scientists can apply to conduct research or poor nations can benefit when they need to hire experts who can draft such important document? Just think. Well, I'm saying this because there's a huge gap in sending you back to an episode asking if Africa investing enough in research because um, Africa Union calls for African countries to invest at least 1% of their GDPs on research and africa cannot basically develop without actually understanding their own development pathway and the opportunities and the challenges and this comes with us investing in research so 
sometimes you think about what can countries do like expertise that is in Nigeria how can it benefit Zambia how can expertise in Kenya benefit country like Zimbabwe it's those exchanges that I'm thinking that AFCFTA with the spirit of that AFCFTA in terms of countries coming together and finding solutions within countries within African countries what can we do what has worked in exchanging what has worked in South Africa can probably work in Malawi anyway apart from many climate conversations i have had with different experts we also talked about the important investing in science journalism are you an inspiring science journalist or a parent of an inspiring science journalist? Please listen to that episode because I know it will be of much, much help to you. One of the things I've strongly believed in is that every problem has a solution. So the solution series was aimed at just highlighting some of this, you know, from the fattening of crabs to save mangroves, improved food system due to replanting of mangroves, to a university producing an, enough electricity and selling the surplus to the national utility, communities relying on bad chips to predict of the incoming season, to a community protecting a spring water shared among wildlife and human reducing human-wildlife conflict. Well, and, and not to mention before we close the year, we talked about how best Africa can build better by adopting to the circular economy and of course investing in understanding how the climate has changed in the past, now and how it is likely to change in the, in the future. So critical for development and of course giving you tips that goes beyond festive season on how best you can reduce your kitchen waste by composting. But this year... I want us to pick up on a very different note. This is what I've been thinking. With every year becoming the warmest year in history, floods, cyclones, droughts, landslides are becoming more severe, frequent, and of course with huge impacts on agriculture, livestock keeping, fishing, infrastructure like roads, access to energy, and many more. Now, previously, a natural disaster like a major drought would happen after seven to eight years. But today you find in some countries, they're happening after every two years or even annually, giving communities no time to recover. But one of the things that we do not often make connections is how climate change is impacting us mentally. This is where I want us to start from. I want us to ask ourselves, what exactly is mental health? Is it going insane? What relationship does rising temperatures, loss of loved ones due to natural disasters like landslides and consistent economic losses have with increased mental illnesses, especially in Kenya, where one out of every four people is mentally distressed? Apart from this, this year I hope we will delve deeper into land issues as well as culture, but I promise to expound more as time goes by. Therefore, I want to invite you to go to my website, www.africaclimateconversations.com. Are you there? Good. On your right side, please just, just scroll down a little bit. Yes, there. You see, you see, keep in touch. Yes, yes. There is some icon, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, right? Please click on that one. Follow us. Follow us, do follow us, and let's engage on our social media. Also, please scroll down just a little bit. Yes, yes, yes. You see a newsletter? 
please subscribe by leaving your name and email so that you do not miss any episode this year. Something else, if you're using an Android or iOS, you can find us on podcast channel that you access your other podcasts from. Just find Africa Climate Conversations. Please remember to subscribe and rate us as well. I'm really, really looking forward to this year's conversations and I'm hoping to hear from you as often as possible. My email is info at africaclimateconversations.com. Also remember, a new episode comes your way every Tuesday morning. I do wish you a productive week ahead and a happy, happy 2021. Until next Tuesday, I'm Sophie Mbogwa. Kwaheri. Inaendeshwa na Afriboards.